All right, all right. Um, hey, you guys, so glad to see you. Go ahead and find your seats. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Andrew, one of the pastors here at Riverbend. Hey, as we were worshiping, I was just reminded of the reality that we worship on Sunday mornings intentionally. You know, the church has worshiped on Sunday mornings as a, as a reminder, speaking of reminders, a reminder that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we are actually celebrating his victory. We're celebrating the reality that Jesus was dead, but now he's alive. So when we come together, that's why we sing. We're a community who celebrates the risen King Jesus. And so what that means for you, depending on, no, no matter like what you've been through this week and where you've come from and what you've been up to, I've just noticed in society and culture at large right now, you just have a toxically anxious um, like culture. And so we want this place to just be a place of God's peace. So that as you walk in, yes, there might be all kinds of things in life that are not quite right, but we have this hope and we know that Jesus is alive, which means that we are his children, which is awesome. So um, anyways, we're just so thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Um, and just one quick announcement before we jump into uh, teaching from, from the scriptures. Um, after many years of just like working week in, week out, my wife and I have decided we're going to be taking three uh, weeks off together. So um, starting next Sunday, you won't see us for a few weeks. Um, it's not because we um, don't love you. We absolutely love you. Um, it's just, it's time for us to have a little bit of rest and relaxation. Actually, at the first gathering, everybody cheered when I said I was going to be gone, which made me feel like, oh, okay, I see how it is. You guys want me to just kind of get, get out of here, huh? Okay. But um, anyways, the, all of that to say, when you come the next couple of weeks, you won't see me, but we have an incredible team of, of leaders and pastors who are a part of this community. Uh, my mentor, Phil, is going to be teaching here in a few weeks. Also, Brooke is, of course, going to be teaching. But today we have a special treat for the very first time ever at Riverbend. Our very own Sam Lawrence is teaching. <laughs> Sam is our youth pastor, and he's an incredible guy. I remember very distinctly the first time, I was a youth pastor when I first started out, and I remember for the first time when I was invited to come speak, we called it Big Church back in those days, and y'all are so much more intimidating than middle schoolers and high schoolers. So you gotta, you gotta, like, here's the deal. You gotta laugh at all the jokes. You gotta give them a lot of love. And it's a great message. It's a phenomenal message. You're gonna love it. You're gonna grow. You're gonna be enriched. So um, it's gonna be fantastic. Would you guys please welcome Sam Lawrence? Thanks, Sam. Uh, hi, guys. Yeah, I might need that. Oh, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, first, like, first service was like a, a breeze. Like I think I blacked out like right after scripture was read. I was like all before I knew it, I was walking off the stage. So uh, hopefully I can be a little bit more present this time. But um, this is actually a really cool moment for me because my mom and my dad are joining us from Texas. So um, yeah, and it's really cool because um, for me, uh, one of the most subtly impactful things that my dad has ever uh, done for me uh, in modeling what it means to follow Jesus 
uh, was to every morning without fail, uh, I either saw him reading his Bible and studying scriptures at the kitchen table or in his office. And if I didn't see him there because I was sleeping in or whatever, I always saw his Bible or his notepad there. So um, looking back, that is one of the best things that he has ever done for me and modeled for me. And so I'm really grateful for that and for um, my parents and to be their son. Uh, and because we're a family church and because of that example that my dad set for me, I thought, who better to read our scripture this morning than my dad? So will you uh, do two things for me? One, will you stand for our scripture reading? And two, will you welcome my dad, Ren, to the stage? <laughs> test, test. Yep. That Got it. It happened like that in the first service, but it didn't take me quite as long to figure it out. So, um, you know, it's interesting because you think second service, you've kind of heard that before. And I heard it for the first time last service, but it doesn't change the impact of what you don't know your kids see. Right. And, um, you know, you're just doing your thing. Right. Studying and reading and trying to. Put it into your life, what you say you believe, trying to put it into your life. Um, we are blessed. We are here. Sam's, one of Sam's older brothers is here. He's the baby, by the way, so you can use that anytime you want when you talk to him. I'm the baby. He's not the baby. He's the baby. I'm the baby. He's the baby. And then, and then extended family is here, all our family, right? Yeah. So Julie's parents. And, We've got and, a little uh, cheering section today. Yeah. So, so, that's great. So if you hear cheering, it's really coming from that section right <laughs> over there. Um, so with that, I'm just, we're just honored to be here. We're pleased to be here. It is, it is a special moment. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing when you think you see something in your kid or your kids, but you have to let them figure that out themselves. You know, there are times one of the hardest things we have to do as parents is keep our mouth shut. Um, not that things were bad, but you have to figure out your own path. And even, when you, even as a parent, you think you see where they should go and you pray that they'll go that way, but you got to let them do it, right? So, um, so this is a special moment for us to be here. And uh, um, we always thought Sam would end up here. And what we didn't expect, when I, when I mean up here, I mean end up in ministry. What we didn't expect is that he'd end up in a church like Riverbend that is alive and growing. Spirit is here, and you guys love them. And I mean yeah. Sam and Julie. Yeah. So for parents, we couldn't, we couldn't be more pleased <laughs> and thankful. Yeah. So with that, I'm going <laughs> to take a moment. everyone's all choked up. I'm going to take uh, a moment. <laughs> but it's always, I always love reading the scripture. Right. I always love reading the scripture and, and we're going to hear what Sam has to say and what the Holy Spirit has laid on his heart. So please, this is our scripture today. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not 
become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, most of all. We pray that your spirit will be upon Sam. We know it is, but in a powerful way. And that each individual here will hear what you have for them to hear today, Father. We praise your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Deb. Yeah, you guys find your seats. Uh, what if I told you guys that in the early 2000s there was a quiet battle going on all throughout America that most of us were completely unaware of? A battle whose results would drastically change life for people across the globe, not just here in the United States. And what if I told you that that battle was being fought over being the first company to market with the internet search engine? It sounds dramatic, but this is exactly what was going on. And the victors of this battle were not a giant tech conglomerate like Microsoft or Apple or something like that. But the victors of this battle were a small quirky startup found in Mountain View, California. That startup was Google. Now we all know how the story ends. Google wins and the rest is history, but believe it or not, Google was not the favorite to solve this problem. But because of the environment the founders created, an environment that told its employees that they belong and nothing's off limits to them. They were able to not only solve the word search engine problem in front of them, but grow into the billion dollar company we know them as today. After Google beat everyone to the market, an employee from a competitor was quoted as saying, Google didn't win because they were smarter. They won because they had a better environment. To put it simply for us this morning, our environment matters. Now, I know all stories and analogies fall short at some point, but I think this example affirms one truth for us. We, you and I, are products of our environments. The question I want to present to you this morning is this. Is your environment today going to produce the person 10, 20, 30 years from now that is rich with the fruit of the Spirit? Meaning, is the richness of your walk today with the Spirit going to be on full display in your life? I think it's an important question we all have to ask ourselves at some point. And this is where I want to spend our time this morning. Now, for the next three weeks, we're going to go through the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll get to hear from Brooke and Phil. Their job, depending on how this goes this morning, will be to clean up any mess that I make for them. Um, But I think it's safe to say that we all want more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Nobody here would say that they don't want more love, joy, or peace. Uh, And I wish this morning that I could say that this was just about information transference. If that was the case, we'd read this and we'd all be great. We'd have it down right now and we'd be leaving and going on our way to lunch or something. But I think for a lot of us, the question today, like in most cases, Uh, becomes how do we minimize the gap between knowing this information and reading it in our Bibles and practically living it out and walking it. And I would argue the question or the answer to that question lies in our environments. If you've been around church for any length of time, you're probably familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. 
If you're like me, you probably learned it in the form of a song like my mom used to sing to me in Sunday school that I still hear in my head or in a similar format in Sunday school or if you were lucky enough and privileged enough to go to Awanas, you probably learned it there. Any Awanas people? Oh, whoa, whoa, a couple. Last service, I think it was just me and Andrew. Um, So there's nothing wrong per se with the ways some of us have learned the fruit of the Spirit in Sunday school or at Awanas. Um, I just don't think we have the full picture necessarily of what exactly Paul is saying to us here. And I think this passage from Paul actually has big implications for our spiritual formation if and only if we can internalize the right message. Oftentimes when we think of the fruit of the Spirit or hear a teaching on this passage, we hear a call to be more virtuous. We internalize a message either directly or indirectly that we need to try harder to be like Jesus. We need to be more loving, try really hard to be joyful, and pray to be more peaceful. And if that's how you want to internalize that message this morning, by all means, go ahead. Uh, I just would ask, how is it going when you leave this morning and someone cuts you off on Newport Avenue as you head to brunch, as you're trying to beat the crowd? My word to you then would be, try and be more peaceful then. Try really hard really hard to manifest some patience for that person and then come talk to me. And I love how Paul uses the metaphor of fruit because all throughout the Bible, including Jesus's teaching, your spiritual life and my spiritual life is equated to fruit growing on a tree or branches growing on the vine or wheat growing in a field. The list goes on. So like if we think about this practically, um, you don't ever see an orange tree or like any fruit tree for that matter exerting a lot of energy trying to produce a fruit, do you? Like if we took a church field trip, we went to Florida and we went to uh, an orange grove, how bizarre would it be if we just went out there and we just saw a bunch of orange trees just like sweating and shaking profusely just to give us like one like clementine, tiny little orange? That doesn't happen. That would never happen. So then why have we read this passage and we say to ourselves, I need to try harder to love my neighbor. I need more peace. Let me think really hard about peace and hope that it manifests itself in me. I would submit to you that what if all these years after hearing the fruit of the Spirit, we've missed exactly what Paul is talking about? exactly what he's trying to say to us. Paul isn't commanding you and I to be more virtuous here. This isn't a command to have these characteristics and you'll be a true Christian. That's not how it works. This isn't a checklist. The only command in this whole passage is to walk in step with the Spirit and you will bear much fruit. Uh, Robert Mulholland, in his book, Invitation to a Journey, if you haven't read it, I cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, He has this to say. He says, as God becomes a vital and living reality in our own being, God paradoxically also becomes more present in the world, quote, out there, infusing all things, events, persons with the fullness of God's presence and purpose. There emerges a new connectedness between our relationship with God and our relationship with the world. The growing experience of inner silent adoration of God at the heart of our being moves us to offer ourselves to God for others. Such empowerment is what Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit. 
These come not by our effort or by attempts to instill them in our actions, but our gifts that emerge as we, we release control of our lives and come to entrust ourselves to God. In other words, you and I, we cannot produce this fruit under our own power. So this begs the question for us this morning, what is your environment like? Is it an environment that is filled with the awareness of the presence of God? Or is your environment controlled by busyness and the quest for more and your addiction to your cell phone and what we know as doom scrolling, where you're just endlessly scrolling on your phone for no reason at all? The short version of Paul's words here in Galatians 5 are you reap what you sow. And nowhere is that more on display than in your soul. And I think the temptation for a lot of us this morning is to think, I know the fruit of the Spirit. I've heard this. I got it. I need to be more loving, peaceful, and joyful this week. And all right, boom, done. Let's get out of here. But what I am asking of you this morning is to follow the logic and the actual teaching from Paul here. He's not saying try harder, do better this week. He's saying, walk in step with the Spirit and create the environment for God to do the deep work of change in your heart, and then you will become a person of love, joy, and peace. And while the call of this passage in Galatians isn't to be more virtuous or to work really hard at these characteristics, I think it's still important for us to have a biblical framework of what Paul actually means when he uses words like love, joy, and peace. So we're going to dive into those really quick before we move on to what I think is the meat of Paul's teaching in verse 25. And the whole point of this list of characteristics is so you can, be, uh, or so you can see the byproduct of walking in step with the Spirit. That's the simple reason why it is fruit and not fruits. This isn't uh, an exhaustive list by any means, and again, isn't a list of commands to do these things. Um, this isn't about effort for Paul at all. This is all about obedience for him. So we're just going to go through these in order. First is love. Love in the Greek here is the word agape. If you've been around church for any length of time, this is a word you've heard a ton. Uh, the definition that I think works the best here is brotherly love, affection, benevolence, or the disposition to do good for the sake of others. Two things here in this definition that I love is one, brotherly love, which I think embodies the idea that this isn't a love that is conditional. It's a familial love. Like for me, I think my brother is here, um, and he is my brother that is directly older than me. I'm the youngest of four. It would take a lot for me not to love my brother. I like to think that there's nothing he could do, um, but I am human. But it would take a lot for me to not love him. So I'm in it for the long haul with my brother. The second part of this definition that I love is that phrase, the disposition to do good for the sake of others. In other words, caring for others is not something you do. It is who you are. It is the natural flow of your heart. That is what kingdom love looks like, selflessly seeking the care of others. And Paul says it like this a couple of verses earlier in Galatians 5.13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Biblical love is not conditional. It is sacrificial. 
And sacrificial love can't be willed into existence. It is a disposition of your heart. And that heart is a heart fully surrendered to the living God. Next in Paul's list is joy. Joy, biblically speaking, actually has a wide range of meanings. Uh, It can mean anything from running in circles to dancing and singing. Uh, One of the definitions that I actually love the most is to shine. Um, And I actually love that a lot because if you have obviously joyful people in your life, they are like the easiest to be around and to spot. This makes total sense. They just shine in whatever room they walk in. And when you are walking in step with the Spirit, no one or no thing can take your joy because it's who you are. It's not an emotion that is dictated by life's circumstances. It makes up who you are because your joy is in the Lord. The God who is consistent when life isn't, the God who doesn't change, so, so your joy should not change. Uh, and this actually flows right into the most common biblical definition of joy, which is to rejoice. We actually see a lot of pictures of joy uh, clearly throughout Scripture that we don't have enough time to dive into this morning. Uh, But the early days of the persecution of the church in the book of Acts is one clear example. Uh, Another place would be the story of Joseph and Genesis, who are uh, people that are joyful, devout, devout followers of God, who are joyful despite the cards that they are being dealt in life. One scholar defines joy like this. He says, Christian joy is no mere gaiety that knows no gloom, but is the result of the triumph of faith over adverse and trying circumstances, which, instead of hindering, actually enhance it. Think Jesus on the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame and enduring unconditional joy. That is the kind of joy Paul is saying is available for you and for me. And if you're not picking up on it, that is a theme, the unconditional nature of these fruit. Finally, in our list for today is peace. Peace is another word that you'll be familiar with if you've been around church. It's the Hebrew word shalom in the Old Testament and the Greek word irene in the New Testament. The meaning of both words is actually pretty uniform, which is pretty incredible. Um, The idea being that there is harmony, security, safety, and prosperity. In the Old Testament specifically, it can be understood as the absence of the havoc of war or a state of national tranquility. Basically meaning if your neighbors aren't trying to invade and kill you, like life is good, you have nothing to complain about. Peace, biblically speaking, is the promised portion for those who are faithful to God. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, peace follows wherever God is. Much like joy, however, peace doesn't mean the absence of life's circumstances. Peace isn't conditional. Again, there's that theme. It's not conditional for followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, you and I are to remain at peace and maintain peace despite the peaks and valleys of life. This is a clear theme throughout the grand narrative of Scripture. This level of peace doesn't come from hours of therapy or self-awareness or self-actualization, although I will admit therapy helps a ton. This is a peace that comes only from walking in step with the Spirit. Again, like I've said already, these aren't characteristics 
to work harder to obtain. You cannot work hard enough to have that level of supernatural love, joy, and peace. These are the fruit or the disposition of a soul fully surrendered to God and committed to walking with him. These are things that you are, things that you are becoming, not things you simply do. But how do we know this for sure? Well, like we said earlier, Paul's one command in this whole passage is found in verse 25, and it says to keep in step with the Spirit. It doesn't say try harder to find the Spirit or strive to catch up to the Spirit. No, it says keep in step. And what Paul is doing here in Galatians is building on the agrarian illustrations used throughout the Bible to strengthen his point. He's not making uh, an isolated metaphor using an isolated illustration. Um, The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 1. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3 says this, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Jesus famously built on this example in John chapter 15, starting in verse 4. He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 11 says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Some translations use the word remain in, the, in place of the word abide, uh, but it's actually the same word in the Greek. It's the Greek word meno, and it's used 10 times in this passage by Jesus as he's teaching on abiding to, remain, uh, to drive home the idea that you remain or you stay put. You do not depart from the presence of God. To put it simply, You and I, we learn to constantly be in the presence of God. Our friend John Mark Comer puts it like this. He says, the first and primary goal of a follower of Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. Awareness of and fellowship with the Holy Spirit is Paul's whole point here, full stop. We become people distinguishable by the fruit of the Spirit when we are connected to the Spirit. Or as Brother Lawrence puts it, not my brother, not this brother, not me, although Andrew sometimes calls me Brother Lawrence. Uh, But if you don't know who he is, Google it and then uh, thank me later. Uh, Brother Lawrence puts it like this, when we practice the presence of God, practice the presence of God. Dallas Willard famously put it like this. He said, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. 
This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A.K.A. you can change. Old dogs can learn new tricks. He goes on to say, a new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. It's beautiful. All of this begs the question for us this morning. Are you creating the environment in your life for the Holy Spirit to do a deep work of change in you? If you're sitting here this morning and you are hoping, wishing, and dreaming of a life filled with love, joy, and peace, I'm here to tell you it is available to you right now today. The offer is on the table. But are you willing to keep up your end of the deal? God has already given the spirit to us freely. We just have to say yes to him. And the kicker to that is we have to keep saying yes to him all day, every day, all throughout our days. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was uh, thinking of a, a story that just came to mind. Um, and so I grew up playing baseball from the time I was old enough to play t-ball all the way through high school. And when I was about 10 or 11, I quite literally had the worst baseball Little League year of my entire life. Um, this particular season, for whatever reason, I don't know where it came from, I decided that I was going to change my batting stance completely. Brand new batting stance without practicing it at all. I don't know where this came from. Um, the person I copied was not like a favorite player of mine, but I decided what better person to emulate than that of Hall of Famer Ichiro Suzuki. For those of you that don't follow baseball, which is probably most of you, um, because this is a ski town and what is better than skiing? Nothing. Um, I'll just give you some context really fast. Ichiro is probably the most famous and decorated Japanese-born baseball player. He played professionally in Japan before coming over and having a career in the United States. He played for the Seattle Mariners. And he was notorious for being a speedy, quick, left-handed, what they call slap hitter. Basically meaning he was a lefty, and so as the pitch was coming in, he would take a step or a shuffle towards the pitch and just kind of throw his arms at it. And because he was so fast and so quick and a lefty, which is closer to first base, he would beat it out a lot of the time. Um, my problem, however, besides the fact that I was not uh, a lefty and I didn't practice this batting stance, was that fast was the last word anybody would use to describe me in my athletic career. I still hear it now, my mom, as I'm running the bases yelling at me, unhitch that wagon. <laughs> it lives in my, my brain. I still hear it now when I'm running around. I was joking with her between services. I said, why unhitch the wagon when you can use it to run over the catcher? Like, it's good. <laughs> Um, but I remember getting to the end of that season and being so upset that I didn't make the all-star team. I think it was the first time I ever cried or got upset about a sporting event outcome. 
Um, but the crazy part to me now looking back was that I actually thought I deserved to be on that all-star team. I wasn't good enough. Why did I think that I was qualified to be or entitled to be on that all-star team? I didn't show that I was good enough to be on that team. I certainly didn't put in the practice that was necessary for that result for me. I would have been much better off practicing like I was Ichiro instead of pretending I was him when game time rolled around. And I think that this is something we do with our faith a lot. We say the prayers and ask for more of the presence of God in our lives, but when, but when it comes down to it, we're unwilling to reorient our lives around practicing his presence. And if we're unwilling to create an environment for the Holy Spirit to do a deep work of change in us, to truly partner with him, then we will always, and I do mean always, fall short of a fruit-filled life because we will never, ever have enough willpower to sustain these qualities. We will never be loving, joyful, or peaceful enough on our own. But through a daily walk with the Spirit, we can be kingdom people who actually embody love, joy, and peace. I couldn't will my baseball abilities into existence by copying a batting stance of a Hall of Fame player. The only way for me to become a better baseball player was through the regular practice and discipline of practice. The same is true for us, for a life enriched by the Spirit. It does not exist without a daily practice of the presence of God. The question I had to ask myself after that season was, do I want to pretend to be a good baseball player or do I actually want to be one? I ask a similar question of us this morning. Do you want to pretend to be loving, joyful, and peaceful, or do you want to be filled with the spirit of the living God to the point where you actually are? Are you ready to stop pretending? This is a question that only you can answer for yourself. No one not even the person sitting next to you can answer this for you. But I'm willing to bet and put money on the fact that more of you here today would say you want more of the Spirit of God in your life than not. And if you're not at that point in your life yet where you would say you're ready to even follow Jesus, let alone ask for more of the Spirit of God in your life, that is totally okay. You're welcome here. No rush. Take all the time you need. But if you're sitting here today and you're desiring to have a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit, but you're questioning the way forward, I would uh, submit to you two practical steps you can leave with today. Simple, not easy steps. First is you can start with prayer. And second, you can adopt the habits or lifestyle of Jesus. Just a quick word on each really quick before we close. First, prayer. If you're not sure of how to pray or think you don't have the attention span or schedule flexibility to sit and pray for large chunks of time, um, that is totally okay. I would submit to you that prayer looks different for everybody. Some people can sit for hours in prayer. Others of us, we get distracted when we see a dish in the sink and we have to go do it. My encouragement for you is if you're unsure of how to pray would be to join us for prayer throughout the week. We have a bunch of different times uh, throughout the week that you can come and pray with us uh, and pray for each other. We pray for our city. We sit and we learn how to be still with God and hear the voice of God. It's, it's truly a beautiful 
time. And I would even go as far to say that if you've been at Riverbend for any amount of time and you call this place your home and you haven't been to a time of prayer on a regular basis, you need to come. It's, it's a beautiful time. It's really worth it. Um, if you feel like prayer is too formal or complicated to fit in your schedule, I would say simply don't complicate it. It's not complicated. We've, we've drastically complicated prayer. Um, prayer can be done at any time and anywhere. You can sit and talk to God and think about God here on a Sunday morning right now, but also in line later today at the grocery store. You can think about God and pray to him at Tuesday morning prayer and while you're building Legos with your kids. You can be sharing a meal on a Wednesday or Thursday night with your community group thinking about God, but you can also be thinking about God while you are floating the river and enjoying his creation. God's presence is always available to you through the power of prayer. And this is how you, as Jesus put it, abide or remain in him. Uh, to quote John Mark Comer one last time in his latest book, Live No Lies, he said it like this. And again, this is our responsibility to turn our attention to God all throughout our days and weeks, to think of him, to think deeply of him and rightly of him. In line with Jesus' vision of God as the Trinitarian community of self-giving, creative, generous, calm, loving, joy, and delight. To let Jesus' incredibly compelling vision of who God is give shape to who we become. And this is not the drudgery of religion or onerous obligation. Remember, we are already filling our minds with inputs all day long. And many of those inputs are creating in us hearts that are fractured, anxious, distracted, and angry. When we curate our attention on Jesus and allow the flow of his thoughts into our minds, we begin to experience his peace, his love, and compassion for all, and his deep, pervasive joy. We become calmer, more loving, and plain happier just by abiding, simply by being with him. Um, the second thing you can do is to adopt the lifestyle or the habits of Jesus. In other words, you can create the environment in your life for the spirit to do a deep work of change in you. For a lot of us, this looks like changing some of our habits and daily rhythms. This might look like removing certain habits and adding new ones. For some of us, we need to uh, take some time off Instagram. We need to delete TikTok. We need to put our video games away. We need to, whatever it is, we need to change our habits to spend time with Jesus. And I promise it might feel like pulling teeth at first or even for a little while, but it'll be worth it. I guarantee you. There's nothing better that you can do for yourself. Um, to use our illustration of an orange tree from earlier, what would happen if we, on our field trip to sunny Florida, took one of those beautiful orange trees from sunny, warm, humid Florida, and we brought it here to sometimes warm, dry, high desert central Oregon? Does our environment seem like the kind that would benefit an orange tree? No, absolutely not. That wasn't a trick question. We only grow, we only grow hops here. That's it. Um, so again, I ask you, Riverbend friends, what is your environment like? What are your habits like? 
Are you creating an environment that's just begging for God to burst through? Or is your environment so consumed with busyness and endless scrolling and streaming that you wouldn't recognize the presence of God if it hits you in the face? God wants so deeply and desperately to do a deep work of change in you. But you have to be willing to partner with him. He'll never force it. The fruit of the Spirit is just the beginning of the offer on the table for you and for me. That is what your life can be filled with. But again, are you ready to walk hand in hand with God? Um, One final quote for us this morning that I want to leave you with before we come to the tables is this from C.S. Lewis. He says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, and eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing which has them. So I leave you with this today, Riverbend. Are you willing to get close? Are you ready to get close? Are you ready to stop pretending and actually be the kind of people that God is calling you to be? to be a people that is distinguishable by the fruit of the Spirit. Will you stand with me and let's pray.